Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. I am Nick Endries. And I am Max Endries. The trifecta is here, making the debut as a trio on the podcast. Fellas, welcome. Max, welcome to your first appearance on the podcast. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to be here. I'm so excited for this tonight. Yep. So uh, obviously I've been on many times. Nick is probably the most common guest to never be a host. He's very experienced. Max, we're going to see how you take on the challenge tonight, getting in the ring with two heavyweights. But uh, yeah, we could start off how uh, the Shawns do each week, going over some quick fantasy headlines. And this week, uh, players stepping in for essentially backup stepping in for the for injured players ahead of them really put on big performances this week one of which was Deontay Foreman putting on probably the biggest performance of these replacements for the week putting up 33 of course Khalil Herbert is on injured reserve Jameer Gibbs finally had the long-awaited breakout game scoring 27.6 fantasy points I don't know how uh, long that is going to last or if that's going to be short-lived with David Montgomery coming back, presumably after their bye, which I think is week nine for the Lions. But nonetheless, an encouraging game, I'm sure, for Jake to see from Jameer Gibbs. Joshua Palmer, a guy that I initially picked up uh, but since have traded to Scott, he's been pretty solid, not just this past week scoring 18.3, but... I believe he's put up double-digit points each of his last four games, so he has been a very solid film with Mike Williams being out for the season. And Jerome Ford, who started out hot after Chubb got hurt, kind of has been middling for the past few weeks, had a good game himself. Of course, he got injured, which is a bummer to see, but had 17.4 points before getting ruled out for the game. And then one guy that is on my team that's in this segment, Jackson Smith and Jigba with DK Metcalf out. It's interesting because he didn't really play the DK Metcalf role if you actually watch the game. He kind of got the same amount of targets that JSN typically gets each game, but he actually scored this time and ended up putting up 16.3 points uh, on the game. So question for you two, out of these guys, or if you have any others off the top of your head that are injury replacements that maybe didn't have a great game this week, who would you say is most likely to continue to have starter-level production for the rest of the season? Even if you don't believe it's any of them, who would you say is most likely? Uh, Max, I'll ask you first. I think the the biggest one that sticks out to me right away is the big game from Jameer Gibbs because everybody's been waiting for it. He's a highly touted recruit coming out of college, a receiving back, and we finally see the Lions go down and they're in like a behind game script where Jameer Gibbs gets his touches. And I think now if the Lions see that he's able to take on that role. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I really like Jameer Gibbs. I think the two rookies, Jameer Gibbs and JSN, are two guys to be, really be excited about to see them produce, especially Jameer having such a big game. But I think the true answer to this question of who's going to you know, possibly put up consistent starter-level production, it has to be Josh Palmer with him filling in that Mike Williams role. Mike Williams is the only one that is out the entire year of these players filling in a role uh, of a player that is out. And so you have to like that, Josh Palmer having a big game. And so he would be the answer for the question. But I would be pretty excited being an owner of Jameer Gibbs and JSN 
getting to see some, uh, you know, some things we've been hoping to see out of these rookies. I would tend to agree uh, with the Josh Palmer pick. It's interesting because this list is basically some older veterans who haven't shown anything <laughs> throughout the numerous years in their career with Palmer and Foreman and some really high upside rookies with Gibbs and JSN. I, I don't really know. I'm not really familiar with Jerome Ford's background, but uh, I would say that the to spin the question a different way to give, I guess, a little bit of a different flavor, the guy that I would least expect to have starter level production beyond maybe just a couple more weeks is Deontay Foreman. I think once Roshan Johnson and Khalil Herbert get healthy, uh, I'm not sure that you're going to have any guy that's putting up starter level production consistently in the Chicago backfield. Nice to see for Damon, especially because he's pretty shallow at running back. But um, yeah, Deontay Foreman is the guy that I would say is least likely to have staying power beyond the next week or two. Some other big performances uh, from common guys that we expect this from. Travis Kelsey put up almost 36 points, 35.9 to be exact, having a Kelsey week. A.J. Brown put up almost 34 points. Alvin Kamara had an unreal target share. I think he caught 12 passes, putting up 28.3 points without scoring as a running back. That's pretty incredible. And uh, just a little fun fact, I'm sure you guys may have heard if you listen into any other football podcasts, I've heard it on two different podcasts this week, that A.J. Brown recorded his fifth straight 125-plus yard receiving game, tying Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson and a guy named Pat Studstill, who Calvin Johnson set this re- or tied the record in 2012, Pat Studstill set the initial record in 1966 so very uncommon for this to happen aj brown can go for having the record to himself if he's able to do it again next week um he's been a stud i think that would you guys call him a first round pick if we were redrafting today definitely yeah he's been a stud and it's interesting because Devonte smith i was listening to a different podcast today in the second half of last season, Devontae Smith actually had more targets than A.J. Brown. This year, it's a totally different story. A.J. Brown just dominating the target share in that Philly offense. So each each of these guys that popped off this week, or I should say of the, of the three that I just mentioned, Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Alvin Kamara, at times have had some down games. Travis Kelsey dealt with injury early in the season. They've all seemed to get back to themselves. Which player, if if you guys, let's just say in a vacuum, needed all three positions, wide receiver, tight end, and running back, which of these three guys would you be most likely to try to pursue in a trade? Oh, to pursue in a trade. Um, yeah, I, I actually it would be the one of the three that I prefer the least. It would be Alvin Kamara because I think he would cost the least. Where I think Travis, Kelsey, you got to give up a good bit if you're not moving a higher end tight end and just making a slight jump up uh, in production to Travis Kelsey. So I think he costs the most. So he's one I don't even think about making an offer for, especially with him being on Jake's team and AJ Brown. um, I would love to go after him, but one, he's on JC's team and two, he's just been absolutely killing it. And it's really hard to trade for a guy like that when he's on record breaking setting pace right now. And, uh, I'm not saying that Scott shouldn't be excited about Alvin Kamara, but there, I think there's a little bit more questions around whether that kind of production will keep up. And so I think that kind of levels out his value a little bit more than those other two. 
Max, what do you think? I think it's sustainable because last year is the exception. I think this is his fourth year in the NFL, and I believe last year is the only exception where he didn't absolutely dominate the target share on the team that he was with. Mind you, he was with the Tennessee Titans for the first two years of his career. They're not a very pass-heavy offense. There were no other studs really alongside him in Tennessee. I think he was played with Julio Jones, who was really old at that point, but never really played with any... I guess, studly competition for targets like Devontae Smith. So I won't say that him being in Philadelphia is the exact same as him being in Tennessee. But like I said, last year, the only exception where you could look at the target share for the offense that he was in, and he hasn't been absolutely dominant of the target share. So I do think it's sustainable, especially because Philadelphia is now 6-1, and one, beating one of the best teams in the NFL, the Dolphins, uh, just a couple of days ago. So I, I think it's sustainable. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I think maybe not the amount, like the type of numbers he's putting up is, is sustainable, but I think him remaining as a steady top three to five wide receiver, I would agree there that that I would uh, perceive that to be, you know, continuing to happen for him. He's the kind of guy you want to feed to. I mean, he's not just a possession receiver where he just catches it and gets down quickly. I mean, he's a guy that catches the ball, makes big plays happen. He's such a freak athlete. So, Matt, I was going to say, Max, which, go ahead. Would he be the would he be the guy of the three that you would want to try to trade for in a, in theory here? Yeah, I, I would echo the same sentiments that both of you shared. And, of course, you guys are injuries boys, so you know that everything is relative to cost and relative to context. So why am I surprised that you guys pick Camara and being the cheapest guy here? That's the same answer that I would give. So uh, there's a tip of the feather there for, for everyone listening. Let's uh, talk about some actual trades. The trade talk segment this week we had two happen, both involving your team, Nick. You're a little aggressive on the trade market here this week. The first of which, I was sitting right between you and your trade partner, which was really interesting. And really, actually, what made it even more interesting is that your trade partner, this is his second trade in, the, I think this is his third or fourth year in the league. I, I believe it's his third. 
in the three years that he's been in the league, this is his second trade ever and by far the largest trade that he's ever made. It's basically his first trade doesn't even count because it was a trade involving a kicker. Uh, Nick gave up Raheem Mostert. I'm sorry, Nick gave up Austin Eckler and CMC's third string running back, Jordan Mason. And in return, Kevin gave up Raheem Mostert and Mike Evans. Nick, do you want to walk us through, uh, I guess, the situation that, that set the the table for this trade i thought you were since you brokered the deal um but you know the three of us nate kevin and i uh, met together friday evening got some food went to kev's place went out for some drinks um i was at least four to five beers deep when conversations around this particular deal took place and i don't even know how we got to i think nate and i might have been just poking at kev just sharing how little he negotiates or makes trades and uh, I think Nate was just kind of throwing out a few hypotheticals. And I can't remember if you came up with it or Kevin did. I think no, Nate, Ke- Kevin, Kevin did. did. Kevin yeah, did. Uh, Kevin came up with the actual offer, uh, just stating like he would he would trade Raheem Moster and Mike Evans for Austin Eckler. And I thought nothing of it whenever he mentioned it until you kind of like elbowed me. Like, did you hear that? And yeah, uh, Kevin, I, Kevin repeated I, again, like, yeah, I would do that deal. And I kept thinking, like, is he serious? Like, there ain't no Nick, way. Well, well, Nick, you guys like, weren't see, there. Like, as there soon as no Nick realized that back. there was a possibility that he was serious, Nick cracked yeah, a big it wasn't that, smile. It was like, like, I was getting like too oh, much... shit, I actually have to consider taking this. Yeah, like, mid-drink while we're out. So I was like, man, now I got to actually I gotta think about this. <laughs> and then it was like this funny, awkward period for the next three minutes where Nick was like trying to be subtle about looking at his fantasy team on his, on his phone. I wasn't trying to be to subtle, decide. but I was trying to like look at the whole picture and Nate the whole time was like, dude, you better take that offer. He's going to take it back. You better take that offer. He's going to take it back. Nate just wanted to see Kevin make a big deal. It wasn't that he was trying to help Kevin or trying to help me. He just really wanted to see it happen. And sure enough, Kevin about a minute later said, yeah, offer expired <clears throat> and then and then maybe 10 minutes later so so here's how here's what happened kevin said offer expired and nick got the uh oh shit i should have taken that moment sent it to kevin on the app just to entice him a little bit more to to unexpire that offer if you will and then we and then continued it, drinks and kevin was kind of just looking through things quietly on his phone <laughs> Yeah, and then about five minutes later, I see Kevin open the offer up and hit accept, and I said, Nick, he accepted it. Anyway. I still thought you were kidding that he accepted it. <laughs> that's that's the story of how the trade unfolded. As far as the trade itself, I thought that it was pretty good. I think that it's a very fascinating trade because Austin Eckler was, I think, the second overall running back taken. He was RB1 overall in PPR last, last year, so in our league scoring format. And... uh before this trade happened, I don't think that expectations moving forward for him changed. I think that Nick was expecting that Eckler would be a top three running back for the rest of the year. So there was, I could see the conflict in his face when he was considering taking this, but it's hard to turn down a guy that actually has been a top three running back. As a matter of fact, top two running back and Raheem Mostert so far this season. And Mike Evans has been a stud. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily I can't I can't it's hard for me to pick a side because in general I like Austin Eckler far and away the most of these three players but when you have production staring at you in the face like Nick did with this duo it's very hard to turn that down when the guy that you have is not producing uh Max I'd be curious for your thoughts on how you know how you 
view the two sides here. So one more thing that I'll say before I, I kind of let you give your thoughts on the actual merit of the deal, Nick, and that, that way you can kind of transition us into the second trade of the week. Uh, and maybe this will be table setting for you, but uh, Raheem Mostert, like not only was this completely unexpected this year for him to put up this level of production, but Raheem Mostert has been hurt each of the, like the past four seasons in a row and not just like a little thing that he goes out for a game, he's back next week or the week after. He's been he's missed multiple games each of the past I think four seasons it is, and so I think there was some concern level of is the production sustainable with Devon Achan coming back in a few weeks. Also, there's some concern of can this guy stay healthy for the full season at the current workload that he has taken on, and so I'm guessing that plays into your thoughts on the trade, Nick, and ultimately will lead us to the talking about the second deal. But talk us through that. Yeah. Uh, with Raheem in the deal, I mean, obviously he's been absolutely crushing it. Um, but he was the one of the two between him and Mike Evans. I had the most questions about, uh, not that Mike Evans is an elite top tier receiver. I think he's pretty darn good and has shown to be that now reaching a thousand yards. And I don't even know how many seasons, like eight or nine. Uh, I actually felt really good about him. And that was a big reason why I ultimately sent the, uh, trade offer back over to Kevin is because he would realistically be my best wide receiver i don't have the best wide receiver core um i was a little worried about raheem but you know he's been producing so i thought it was worth the risk and especially uh it was going to be more beneficial for my team to have those two pieces over jess austin eckler against kevin this week and uh, kevin and i are kind of both in a similar spot in the standing so having the upper edge to get a hopefully a win over him you know before the trade i was thinking was advantageous uh, and going to Kevin's side, I think he should still, even though it never feels good to trade for a big piece like Austin Eckler and him not produce right away. I mean, I had that feeling the first week. Um, and I've heard someone broke it down today. I break it down today that uh, Eckler is dealing with a similar ankle injury that Saquon did last year. And it takes those guys, especially running backs, a few games to really get in the rhythm and get past that injury coming back um, to where it's like an immediate sense, including last week and this week. You should not expect them to, you know, be clicking on all cylinders. But long-term outlook, I think Kevin still has one of the best uh, running backs uh, in the league, and especially being a pass-catching running back. You know, Kevin should be pretty excited. We, uh, you know, we're talking to him on the side on Sunday to now have not just him but CMC and one lineup together. I mean, you're talking about the two top perennial pass-catching running backs, you know, since we've been starting to play fantasy football. Um, and have that one lineup, that's really a real lethal weapon to have. So I still think there's a lot of excitement to have for Kevin's side, but, you know, I'm also feeling good about uh, what I received in the in the deal. The one interesting wrinkle of this trade, you mentioned to, you know, one motive behind making the deal is to potentially get 
the upper hand in, in the head-to-head matchup between you and Kevin, and this deal actually did make the difference. If he did not make this trade, he would have beat you head-to-head on the week. Uh, so we'll see what the long-term ramifications of that are. But, Nick, you obviously had concerns about Raheem Mostert. You turned around and you flipped him in a deal that I thought was nearly as interesting as the one that you and Kevin made, where I'll, I'll explain all the pieces involved, but then there were a couple pieces where it was basically a, a, a rental mechanism to the trade. So effectively, the exchange between Nick and, and JC was, for the long term, the Jets' backfield in Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook for Raheem Mostert. Now, this was done in two separate trades where essentially Nick got a rental in Najee Harris, who JC did not plan on starting for the week. And so Nick needed a rental for one week to be able to start. And in return, I guess as collateral, if you will, Nick sent Antonio Gibson to JC, but then they flipped Najee and Antonio Gibson back after the week. So basically just a rental baked into this trade, which was effectively the Jets' backfield for Raheem Mostert. So just quickly sum up your thoughts of, you know, why you like Brees Hall over Raheem Mostert going forward, Nick? I mean, uh, I believe Brees is going to be the workhorse running back without restrictions now. I mean, Robert Sala shared that. And since he shared that, that has been the case. He's a younger, more talented back, in my opinion, than Raheem Mostert. I mean, younger is a fact. More talented, I think, you know, my opinion, I think I prefer Brees. And I saw that Brees was on bye for a team that needed to win in JC and would really you know, theoretically help JC to have a top two running back in Raheem plugged into his lineup for the week, you know, ultimately didn't affect him winning or losing. He still got the job done for the week, but didn't help him either. Um, But that's, you know, where I saw the opportunity to make that swap in a one for one, as far as more, you know, more so thinking Brees for Raheem. Uh, And then I, you know, wanted to get the handcuff and Dalvin Cook. And in talking with JC about the deal, uh, I shared with him I wasn't going to do the deal unless I got a running back that he wasn't starting in return, which at the time was Najee because I needed a running back for the week. And then he also did not want to give up one of his running backs long term. So then we came to that conclusion of what you saw Najee for Gibson. For Max, just the one week. Right. Max, what did you make of the trade? I mean, it effectively comes down to who do you like more between Brees Hall and Raheem Mostert, but for JC, who had Brees Hall, but Brees Hall was on a bye. JC, obviously, in a position in the standings where he needs to win pretty much every week. Um, so the one question is, who do you like more going forward, Brees Hall or Raheem Mostert? Second question is, if if the answer is Brees Hall, could you in JC's shoes justify taking the downgrade from Brees Hall to Raheem Mostert, given that he was basically going to have to eat Brees Hall's bye otherwise?
So you initially thought that Nick gave up too much, but you've since changed your mind. Is is that kind of okay? That's I just want to make sure I was reading that correctly. Yeah, I think I give the slight edge to Brees Hall, but I don't want to discount Raheem Mostert too much. He did have a down week this past week, which was obviously the first week that Jeff Wilson came back. But Jeff Wilson, I think he played 14% of the snaps. I don't think it had much to do with like volume or workload. It was just more he had a down week, which happens. Um, completely justified, even if there is any perceived downgrade from Brees Hall to Raheem Mostert in my mind, because JC is just in a position where he cannot afford an 0-2 week at any point for the rest of the regular season. So for him to be able to offload a bye week and not take really, coming into the week, any downgrade, because Raheem Mostert was the number two running back in fantasy coming into this past week, I think that that's just a job well done from both sides, because on Nick's side, this essentially makes me look at the Eckler deal as Nick trading away Austin Eckler for Mike Evans and Brees Hall, which I would absolutely make that trade in Nick's shoes. And that's ir- irrespective of the actual team context. I just like that deal in a vacuum. I think that's great value for Austin Eckler. So job well done this week, Nick. Uh, Kevin, way to ante up and finally actually take a gamble. I'm proud of you for taking that step. And JC, nice nice move to essentially cover a bye week without taking too much of a downgrade. Um, so those are trades that actually happened. We thought it would be a fun little segment if we kind of kept the ball rolling on all of this trade talk and talked about maybe some hypothetical trades that obviously have not happened yet, but maybe we think would be appropriate. And so each of us have put together one or two trades. Uh, not, I didn't do any involving my own team. I basically just picked a couple of teams. My taste is essentially to pick teams that are lower in the standings and think about, okay, what would I do in there? situation to maybe move them up in the standings from here going forward that was my approach you guys were welcome to do or pick whichever teams you'd like we can kind of do this where we go one trade at a time i don't even know if you guys did multiple i i made two trades up i'll just go with one and then we'll we can discuss it we'll go right down the line so the first trade that i came up with is and i was really starting with i'll just give you the mindset here i was starting with sean cowell's team Norman Bates, and looking at where he's at currently in the standings, what his roster is composed of, and then kind of looking up in the standings for a trade partner um, with the idea in mind that maybe you give up a little bit more to a team higher in the standings that would entice them to give you something that helps you more right now. Okay, so the trade that I proposed would be Sean Cowles trading Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard, and Debo Samuel, and in return getting from Damon to Otago Vailoa, Devon Achan, and the Bears' backfield. And so the reason why I think this helps Sean is you clearly get a quarterback upgrade from Dak to Tua. The long-term upside is still there with Devon Achan. Obviously, you're trading away two big upside pieces with Tony Pollard and Debo Samuel, but Debo is hurt right now. Um, I think that you match the running back upside that Tony Pollard has by getting Devon Achan back. 
in the short term, filling the production of the running back that you're trading away to get the Bears backfield, which Damon has Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman, who just produced big time this past week. Uh, and I think that the piece here that would really sell it in terms from what Damon is getting is like, yeah, you're taking the downgrade from Tua to Dak, and maybe you see it the same way as I do, where Achan can be just as good as Pollard once he gets back. I think that the selling piece here, if I'm Damon, would be including Debo and getting that long-term upside because obviously Calvin Ridley on Damon's team has been very inconsistent over the past month or so. Now I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. Sorry. What's that? I said he hasn't even been inconsistent. He's just been so bad. He's not getting He was great involved. week one. That's it. He was great week one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what you guys think in terms of does this help both teams? Does this help just one team? Would you accept if you're in both of their shoes? If you would decline, which perspective would you decline from? Max, I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on this? And and feel free to be completely honest. What do you think, Nick? Man, this one's hard. I really don't know. It's um, one of those deals which we're going to talk about, quote unquote, the injuries move later. Um, and that's, we'll, we'll talk about it in much more detail then. But for me, an injuries move can be hard to define because I'll, I'll just give you a little tidbit. Like one thing that I like to do is sometimes leverage name value in a trade when I don't feel that it matches the actual production value. And I think good examples, maybe maybe Dak Prescott isn't fooling anybody with his name anymore, but Debo Samuel might be a great example of, he's a guy that still has this perceived very high upside because he finished as a wide receiver one, and I believe it was 2021. But the guy, one, has produced very inconsistently when he's been on the field this year. And two, hasn't really been able to stay on the field this year. I don't mean to tear down his trade value here live on the podcast, but just to give you a little insight into the way that I think is like, I think that he would be a guy that if a trade was somewhat close to begin with, and then you threw a Debo Samuel out onto the table and you were only taking in what would be considered small potatoes to most people, say the Bears backfield. If the deal was close on its own with Dak and Pollard for Tua and Achan, and then in Sean Cowell's position, you're like, okay, well, I can throw you Debo if you just give me the measly Bears backfield. Like To me, that's a tactful way to get a deal across the table and get it done. That's kind of the way that I'm seeing this. But...
I see, but I don't see the injuries move that way. I don't want to spoil too much. I don't see the injuries move as always getting the best player in the deal. I think that that's a common mistake, a common misconception. Of yeah, what an injuries I, I move definitely is. think that's the conception that's out there, but I don't think that's necessarily true. So, Nick, you haven't actually given your thoughts on this hypothetical offer yet. Yeah, when, when it's this close, I personally, if I was in the deal, I go down the rabbit hole looking at schedules ahead, especially if I'm in like Damon's spot, looking at playoff schedule. I actually just just picked one player. I looked at two as playoff schedule, and it's extremely challenging. Actually, I believe he has Dallas, Baltimore, and one other like very tough defense. Um, so that would make me enticed to make the swap and hopefully, you know, he's secured a, a playoff spot that Debo you would think would be healthy by then and be a player. I probably would prefer plugging in over Calvin Ridley Dak in the moment is enticing with him. Just having a quarterback overall number one on the week, not this week where, where he had a bye, but last week. So that would maybe give you hope that you'd be getting something of value out of him. And Pollard, I still believe he's a top, um, I guess I'll just say eight running back uh, long term. And Damon, his running back room is his weakest link on his team. So that is pretty enticing deal or part of the deal for Damon to make. So I think if I were Damon, I would accept that. And uh, Sean, I think for him, it would really hinge on Devon Achan. And I don't know if that's a move he can even make right now. Uh, I'm not sure where Sean's in the standings, but. If he's really only able to start Tua, who's going to have a bye, I think, within the next week or two, and then the Bears' backfield, which once one of those other two guys gets healthy, Rashawn Johnson or Herbert, I think that's you know pretty crummy to put in over Pollard, even though Pollard hasn't been good. I don't know. I feel like I would want more from Sean, or for Sean's side, getting it, getting more out of Damon, but kind of like you mentioned, it's harder when you're in that position where you're approaching somebody that doesn't really need to make a move because Damon's had so much success. Right. It's it's harder cuz we talked about this last week me and the in the Shans that is about you have to take the other person's con- team context in mind. And like why would Damon pay I don't want to say pay fair price to a guy that's much lower in the standings, but if he perceives it as like okay, the current offer as it sits as I threw it out there is $1 for $1. And if Sean were to ask for a little bit more, Damon perceives that as him giving up a dollar and a nickel for just a dollar back. He's going to say, whoa, 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 I'm at the top of the standings. Why would I do that and take that risk? Right. And to, to kind of dissuade some of your concerns about, okay, trading out Pollard for the Bears backfield. The Bears backfield, it's, again, we talk about the injuries move. The way that I'm tactically thinking about this is they're just a bridge to get me to when Devon Achan is back. I can get two weeks out of them and then I get HN back. The Bears backfield is inconsequential to my team at that point if I'm Sean. Right. Um, so it sounds like you would basically give this a thumbs up or an accept or maybe even say that you prefer Damon's side. Max explained that he would probably take Sean's side, as in like he said he would sit on his team if he were Damon here. To me, that's a thumb, two thumbs up. Maybe a roundabout way of going about it, but... You each kind of said that you would prefer one side of this trade, those being opposite sides. So I think that this could be a plausible trade for those two. We'll see what they think if they listen and chime in. Uh, Max, what was your first, or maybe only, I don't know how many you came up with, hypothetical trade here?
I give that trade proposal an A+. I like that for both teams, and I say that that should be accepted. <laughs> Not buttering you up, Max. I actually like that. I like that a lot. What do you think, Nick? What's the timeline of Justin Fields? Supposed to be out four games at most, but I think they're leaning toward three because they elected not to put him on the IR. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I just he already uh, missed one. So Josh two Downs more games is what they're planning. Josh Downs hasn't been on my radar till um, Max just mentioned him. I know he's been like a hotter waiver wire ad being a rookie, and I just looked at his production. He has been doing really good. So I think this was a good proposal by Max. Personally, if I were Jake, I would I would want more. Um, cause I don't trust Sam Howell at all. I see him as just, just a tier above a waiver wire quarterback, just cause he's so inconsistent that I would push the envelope. Uh, if I were Jake to ask, even if, even though he's not healthy, I would, uh, I would push the envelope and ask for David Montgomery within the deal somehow, instead of just Josh Downs to go with Sam Howell. And I can see where you're coming from, but from Max's perspective, because it sounds like, Max, you were really thinking from Boatwright's side of things here when crafting this deal. And if the primary goal in mind is building for the playoffs, right, then you're willing to take a little bit of a hit in the short term for a long-term game. So I think, I understand, Nick, your ask of get a little bit more for Fields, who was, I think, a second-round pick for Jake after he took Kelsey in the first. So yeah, Fields would have been his second-round pick. Definitely understand the ask, but I would almost think if I were in that hypothetical negotiation and outright wants long-term upside, it would almost defeat the purpose to give up a guy like David Montgomery. But that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Again, anybody that's listening, if you're one of the teams involved in these hypothetical trades, please weigh in and tell us what you think from your own perspective of, I mean, obviously people are probably not going to reveal their entire hand. You know, if, if outright, thinks to himself like yeah i actually should make this offer he's probably not going to go in the trade or go in the chat and say yeah jake you should make that trade because then he just gave away all of his leverage but it would be interesting to hear uh people's thoughts people's thoughts on these nick what was your first hypothetical trade i'm going to my notes to look at it here i included max in the deal i wish i could see your faces when i'm reading this off but i can't um, I included Max and I did a hypothetical deal between Max and Jake because I also chose Jake since he hasn't, he's the only one in the entire league that hasn't made a trade, calling Jake out. Um, and the deal that I'm proposing, Jake would give up Jordan Love and George Pickens. And I'm doing a quarterback and wide receiver swap here. I know people aren't big fans of like same positions being swapped, but I think it makes sense with Jordan Love and George Pickens to Max for Kirk Cousins and Curtis Samuel. And Max absolutely has to win moving forward. Uh, no doubt about it. He cannot lose. And Jordan Love and George Pickens are both passerby. Uh, for Max, it would be a downgrade at quarterback. But uh, I, I would almost feel that it would be, what I put, lateral move at wide receiver. Yeah, I think it would be, I wouldn't say it was a lateral move. I think it would be uh, an improvement going from Curtis Samuel to George Pickens as far as having a higher, higher ceiling with George Pickens recently. Uh, and so I proposed that and Jake would get the quarterback upgrade and Kirk Cousins over Jordan Love. So I'm not really a fan of Jordan Love. Um, and then you can more or less see it as a lateral move, as I kind of briefly mentioned there from Pickens to Curtis Samuel, as far as like where they've been production wise on the season, um, or maybe even just a slight downgrade from Pickens to Curtis Samuel. But 
I think that quarterback upgrade makes up for it. I think if you were to do what we call in golf match play, where a quickly a quick explanation for that is if I beat you by seven strokes on any given hole, I only get plus one on the scoreboard. So you can only distance yourself by plus one each hole against your opponent. If we were measuring this trade that way, where Cousins over Love is plus one advantage for Jake, and Pickens over Samuel is plus one advantage for Max, and thereby it's an equal trade, I think you could pass it that way, and that's somewhat the way that you explained it, Nick. But to me, I think that there's a larger difference, and and I would say quite a larger difference between Pickens and, and Curtis Samuel than there is between Cousins and Love. And I agree with you that I do not like Jordan Love. I still think that the perceived difference between him and Cousins is small enough that it doesn't make sense in Jake's case here to take what I think is a pretty big downgrade from Pickens to Curtis Samuel. I don't love the Steelers' offense any more than the next guy, but I think that Pickens' upside is unreal con- compared to Curtis Samuel's, where I think the upside between Cousins and Love is, is kind of similar. No way. I, I have to butt in there and say no way. I'm not a Jordan Love fan or believer at all. Um, I think he got pretty lucky to start the year. And actually, he had the lowest completion rate of all 32 quarterbacks in the whole league. I think it was through like the first maybe four four or five weeks. And that's starting to come back and show um, with his recent production. He's just not getting the job done. I think he's going to drastically drop down uh, the rankings and uh, standings as far as season production over the next few weeks. So interesting. I, I know I'm framing the data here, but... Three out of seven games, Kirk Cousins has been over 20 points. Three out of six games, Love has been over 20 points. And those are all first the first three games, right? No. Uh, Jordan Love had... Let me see. I have to flip back and forth between their rosters. But what I was going to say was... Yeah, and he's been pretty bad since, right? Okay. Four... I'm sorry. Five out of six games, he's been over 15 points. And let me flip back to Max's roster. I believe it's five out of seven for Kirk Cousins. Has he been over 15 points? So I know I'm framing the data there, but five out of six games for Love to be over 15, five out of seven for Cousins, three out of six to be over 20 for Love, three out of seven for Kirk Cousins. I still like Kirk Cousins. Like in a vacuum, if we're just considering the quarterback position, I like him substantially more than Jordan Love, but bringing into account George Pickens and Curtis Samuel, I don't like Cousins by as large of a gap over Love as I do Pickens over Curtis Samuel. That's fine. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say, even though I actually believe season production wise, Curtis Samuel. He's been trending down. Jordan Love has been trending down, which I think is a strong point in your case for this trade. No, so and I, I was just saying that I believe Curtis Samuel and George Pickens production-wise are closer in what wide receiver number they are in the season than quarterback number between, uh, or at least very similar between Kirk Cousins and Jordan Love. I think right. Samuel and Pickens are like maybe six spots apart. Curtis Samuel is wide receiver 30 on the season. Pickens is wide receiver 23, so you're pretty close. Okay. Um, Max, what are your thoughts on this as a as a, an involved party in this potential deal.
They've actually won two in a row, I think. Yeah, so they're I think they're three that's encouraging. Five. It's actually encouraging on the Kirk Cousins front. They just beat the 49ers. All right, so Max says thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Max says he prefers Jake's side of the trade. I say, or I'm sorry, prefers the side that Jake is giving up in the trade. I say that I prefer the side that Jake is giving up in the trade. So sounds like I'll Jake say, should send it. I was gonna say, I'll say while there's some merit to the deal, I'm gonna say that this one is thumbs down for the purposes of this segment. Oh, just for you. Well, I'm saying if, ticker, if you can't convince, I, I think to... if you can, I don't think if you can convince. If you can convince uh, one of us to take the opposite side as the other, I think that that qualifies a trade as being an acceptable trade for purposes of this segment. I think Jake also really values the quarterback position and getting Kirk Cousins with Justin Fields would make him feel pretty darn good about his quarterback room. Um, And the one thing, I don't know why I'm going back to it, but what makes it a go-ahead for me if I were Max is that you're getting two guys pass or by. For sure, and you, oh, that's you yeah, to, and that's a big appeal for him. That's a big yeah. appeal for him. Absolutely. Uh, my second hypothetical trade, my second and final that I came up with, is looking through the lens of Scott's team. And to give context, Scott is in a somewhat similar position to Sean Cowles, who I looked at initially. Sean Cowles is tenth in the standings at a five and nine record, but it should be noted that that's in a three-way tie with Kevin and JC at five and nine. So I went one level up the chain in terms of head-to-head, or I'm sorry, season record with Scott, who's in seventh place with a six and eight record. And in this trade, this one was probably a little bit more out there than the first one I proposed, but Scott would be giving up the Packers backfield. So that's Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, Chris Olave and Baker Mayfield and reaching up the standings to Eddie who would give up in return Jared Goff and Travis Etienne. So Jared Goff making his way back home, coming full circle to Scott, who originally drafted him. The reason for this trade, from Scott's perspective, or the, re- the way that I was thinking about this from Scott's perspective, is that he may not necessarily be in as dire of a situation as, say, a JC or a Max or a Kyron are in, where they can't afford to lose uh, pretty much any given week moving forward. But I like to start to treat things or at least consider things a little desperate when I'm, you know, at, at least two games back of a comfortable playoff position this deep into the season. And so if I'm Scott, 
maybe I'm, you know, if I'm Scott, I'm looking at these, these assets that are not performing to what I expected, like an Aaron Jones, like a Chris Olave. And I'm saying, I would love to be patient with these guys, but I simply can't afford to. So I would take a more sure thing in the form of a top running back in Travis Etienne. And then the form of a overall with everything considered a a consistent quarterback in Jared Goff over the waiver wire streamer in Baker Mayfield. Again, I think that it's clear that Scott's giving up more name value. And so the the perceived reaction to a trade like this might be like, oh, Eddie got the better end of that. But I think in, in Scott's case here, he would be getting a lot more certainty back, even if he did pay more in terms of name value, giving up Aaron Jones and Chris Olave. Curious, uh, I'll go to you first, Nick. What what do you think of this potential trade? Let me recap one more time. Scott gives up Packers backfield, Chris Olave, Baker Mayfield, gets in return from Eddie, Jared Goff, and Travis Etienne. Uh, I, for sure, uh, prefer a side here. That's the Etienne-Goff side. Uh, the Packers backfield right now, just too unpredictable. Um, Olave, I mean, he just actually just got arrested yesterday. I know it's nothing crazy just for speeding, going 70 and a 35. Um, but he hasn't produced quite to the way, you know, we all anticipated him or hoped for a breakout season this year. And I prefer Goff a good bit more over Baker here. So I really like the consistent production ETNs put up. I would feel really good about that if I were Eddie and I prefer Goff um, over Baker. So yeah, I, I lean pretty, pretty heavily on Eddie's side here. But I think it's, you know, name value, name wise, it's, it sounds enticing, but I feel more certain with Etienne and Goff. What do you think, Max? Those are and those are fair reactions to that deal. I will temper the compliments to Jared Goff. I would not call him a great quarterback. He's a good fantasy quarterback. Definitely a good fantasy quarterback. And I guess I failed to mention why this would be enticing to Eddie. It's not necessarily just for the name value, all that although that helps, you know, getting an Aaron Jones and a Chris Olave. But Eddie's team we've talked about a couple times is just not really as deep as say some of the other top contenders up in the standings. And so if this were to work out where guys stayed healthy and produced as they were expected to toward the beginning of the season, then I think that this would serve to deepen Eddie's team in addition to getting some potential star power. But I do uh, respect the call that both of you made there, sitting if you were Eddie, keeping ETN and Jared Goff. But uh, do you either of you guys have a second trade? I know that we said we'll do one or two. I, I didn't know if you guys did two. Okay. 
well, you know it's not you know it's not going to happen, but Okay. Let's hear it. Max, you can give your reaction first, because I'm still chewing on this, actually. Yeah, no, I I agree with Nick that the gap between CMC and and Derrick Henry is is really big, frankly. Um, but I think that I would still sit on my guys mainly because uh, we talked at length last week about where you source the highest end of your production week in and week out from, and and how I described that basically I prefer to do that from the quarterback room because they're touching the ball on every play. Now, obviously, there's no workload concerns for Christian McCaffrey. He's going to touch the ball over 20 times per game. Um, but I think that the if you group together all the opportunities to score in fantasy between Justin Herbert, Derrick Henry, and Sam Laporta, so basically that's carries from Derrick Henry plus targets for Sam Laporta plus passing attempts for Herbert, I think that it would far outweigh, and I may have to eat my words on that because I do know that Stafford throws the ball quite a bit, but even if you just prescribe the value to the opportunities that they're getting, like I would say that Justin Herbert's pass attempts are probably worth more. There's, there's definitely a way to quantify this. I do not do advanced metrics in fantasy football, but I would guess that Justin Herbert's passing attempts are much more valuable 
than Matt Stafford's just from a pure fantasy production perspective. And so like I justified Nick's trade last week, where it's kind of like this math problem, I would almost see it that way where like, yeah, you could probably argue that the upgrade from Derrick Henry to CMC makes up for the downgrades of Herbert to Stafford and Laporta to Pitts. Like the math could probably justify that depending on how any given month shakes out. But I think that I prefer to spread the advantages rather than consolidate them into one player. Because in that case, you also introduce injury risk too. Like CMC is already dealing with some injury. If some bad luck happens and he's out for a month starting in week 14 and I'm without him for the entire postseason, then that renders this trade an absolutely lopsided deal. Whereas if I lose one of the three guys on my side, like I can still get by without having lost too much. I do think it's a really interesting deal. Like, I think that, like, I, I guess the way that I would say this is I think that this would be the price if Christian McCaffrey was traded. Like, this would be the price that would have to be paid for the rest of the league to not cringe when they saw the deal. So I think that it's an appropriate offer from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's great, man. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't disagree with you. So between the three of them, 39.3. So Kyle Pitts, CMC, and Matt Stafford score 47.3 points per week on average as a trio. I'm curious what that is for, for my trios. That's 35.3. It is 48.4. So it's very close. What did I say? 47.3 for Kevin's trio. I think it's I think it's within a point, essentially, is what I'm getting at here. The week if you add their weekly fantasy points per game together, the trios on each side, I think it's basically within a point and a half. So it's a, it is a it is an even deal. I just prefer to, I guess, edge some of my risk in the form of spreading out the talent and the opportunity. So I say no. Max says no, but there is definitely merit to the trade. Uh, Max, did you have a second hypothetical deal here? Okay, let's hear this one. Hopefully it's a trade to you.
Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I to be honest with you, I I feel the exact reaction from Nick. It would be a hard deal for me to make because if you've ever seen one of those seesaw scales where like if you put too much on one side it tips. That's kind of once I feel very comfortable with my starting lineup in fantasy, that's how I try to construct the rest of my roster. So if you were to look at my team, then you would notice that I have Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins. That's five, let's call them wide receiver twos or better. Five. Right now, my running backs that are running back twos or better are Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, and Joe Mixon. That's three. So five wide receivers to three running backs. Ideally, I would love to have four and four so that I'm really deep at both positions. And this trade would serve to actually... It would be. It would be. But this trade would serve to make my roster even more imbalanced by giving up one of those precious three RB2s or better for yet another, in this case, he's a top five overall wide receiver, but one of those wide receivers that I already have five of. I think in the end, if this were in my inbox, it would just be too good of a value to pass up and I would accept it and just figure out how to build my running back depth back up another way. But uh, it would give me some pause, which might surprise you to hear. I think I would accept it. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. But it would definitely give me some pause and would make me think before accepting it. Okay, how do, how can I strategize? It, it would like the answer would likely be okay. In that case, I would trade one of my now six really good wide receivers for a running back uh, to cover the depth there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you're damn right that I would trade I would trade one of those guys after making this deal in some way, shape, or form to get a running back in return for Derrick Henry. No, and you're you're thinking about it absolutely the right way, which is exactly why I would accept this trade is because I know that the deadline isn't for another month and I have time to figure out how to package one or two of these six stud wide receivers to get a guy that's going to be nearly as impactful as Derrick Henry back. Hey, there's nothing wrong with trading with me. And imagine if I never traded Puka for Waddle. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I still don't regret that trade. I still don't regret that trade, but... Right. So I think we had at least three trades that we say thumbs up on for this segment. Did either of you guys come up with a third trade, by chance? Okay. All right. Matchup review from last week. Hashlinging Slasher versus Morgoth. JC took the head-to-head win. Both took median wins. So good job, fellas. Second matchup was the Shans. Cowles versus Boatwright. And Boatwright took the head-to-head win and the median win. While Cowles took both losses on the week. 
in my, I guess you could call it a matchup with Damon, I basically had only half of the lineup. So Damon took not only the head-to-head win, but he also scored well enough to take a median win, just continuing to put up consistent production. I took both a head-to-head and a median loss. Kyron versus Scott, Gustave, Gustavo Fring versus Pinhead. Scott took the head-to-head and the median win, while Kyron took the head-to-head and the median loss. Cocaine Bear versus Mr. Bateman. Jake took both wins, and Eddie took both losses, which was music to my ears. And in the last matchup of the week, Dracula versus Pennywise, Nick took a head-to-head win, but could not get it done against the league median. They both took a median loss. Fellas, any big takeaways from this past week? (laughs) I feel good. Uh, because this is exactly where I wanted to be post what I'll call my buy-mageddon. Basically, my entire team was out on buy last week. I don't have to deal with buys moving forward effectively. And I'm still second overall in the standings. So I feel great. I feel prime position to take a first-round buy spot by season's end. Nick, any takeaways from you? <laughs> What were you going to say, Max? part of it is skewed by kevin's had a couple really high scoring weeks and i obviously started like literally half of a lineup if you're counting tyler higby as a lineup hole which i am (laughs) this past week and only scored less than 90 points so but it is an interesting thing to point out he has the second most points in the league and he's eighth in the standings um quickly looking ahead to this coming week week eight matchup preview First matchup of the week, Hashlinging Slasher versus Pennywise. Everyone is at full strength this week, by the way. There are no buys in the NFL. I am going to take Max to keep his season alive, keep it rolling after his first uh, win in in a month this past week. Anybody else care to weigh in? Not enthusiastically, apparently. Second matchup of the week, Norman Bates versus Morgoth. I'm taking JC here. How about you guys?
Yes. Third matchup of the week, Bay Harbor Butchers versus the ghost of Anthony Richardson. I think I'm going to kick Sean Boatwright's ass this week, frankly. Who do you have in this matchup, Max? Nick? All right, clean sweep from the injuries, boys. Fourth matchup of the week, Gustavo Fring versus Cocaine Bear. I'm taking Jake. I just have zero faith in Kyron's team. This is the third time I've been on the podcast and the third time that I've mentioned that Kyron's team just stinks. Max, who do you have? Fifth matchup of the week, Negan versus Mr. Bateman. I think Damon is going to do me a favor after kicking my ass this past week and start to knock Eddie down the standings where he belongs. So I'm picking Damon here. And in the last matchup of the week, we have two former league champions facing off Dracula versus Pinhead. I'll pick last on this one because I want to look into it further. So, Max, who do you have winning this matchup? I am really torn on this one, and I'll say that I think Nick is going to win, so that'll be my official pick, but I'm cheering for Scott to win to keep the very back end of the playoff spots really interesting. And so if Nick were to go 1-1 and this week and Scott were to go 2-0, and that would be two teams tied at 500 right there around the sixth and final playoff spot. So I think Nick will win. I want Scott to win to keep things interesting. We're going to quickly go through this segment. I'm going to try to keep commentary to a minimum. You can give just a a quick comment if you'd like. But what we're going to do here, this is a segment that Max wanted to do, is just basically take a mid-season look back at the draft and say, who was our favorite pick from each manager's team? And so we'll go one manager at a time. We'll each throw out, all three of us, our favorite pick from their team. I'm sure there's going to be overlap in some cases. Again, we'll quickly go through this. So first man, first manager looking back at the draft, we're going to go with Max. Nick, who did you have as your favorite pick from Max's team? Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> I have a similar rule in that not that you have to still have them on your own team, but they could never have been dropped at any point. So like a good example is Devon Achan could be looked back at in hindsight as a good pick by Boatwright, but he dropped him. So I'm not going to count that as good pick. So I went with for Max David Montgomery in the eighth round because he at least did use him in a trade, I believe to get Jonathan Taylor. Um, so I'm going to say that just looking at the pick itself, David Montgomery in the eighth round was a great pick for Max. Max, who, who, who did you pick? If you took out his bad week, he would be average. <laughs> no, I, I I think Sam Howell is fine, honestly. Uh, next manager we have is Kevin. For my pick for Kevin's best pick of the draft, I went with Adam Thielen in the 11th round. I think there are only two correct answers to this, and I went with the wide receiver, Adam Thielen, in the 11th round. Nick, who did you pick here? Max. With the big honorable mention being Raheem Mostert the round before in round 10. Third manager is Sean Cowles. For his team, my favorite pick was Hollywood Brown in round 8. Max. Or sorry, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, Nick. That's a good pick, and I totally glossed over that one. Next manager we have is JC. This one was very easy for me personally. It was Ken Walker in the sixth round. Curious if you guys would have a different pick. <laughs> Max Next manager is me, uh, and this will not be Nick's pick because he's no longer on my team, but I truly believe he is the catalyst or almost the face of the franchise to the season that I'm having. I have to go with Brock the Cock in the 16th round. I think that he's been a huge catalyst both when he was on my team and for the deal that he secured me a couple weeks ago. So Brock Purdy in the 16th round is my favorite pick from my team.
max. I, the other good pick, I think, goes without saying, is Kirk Cousins. But I also had some stinkers. I picked Miles Sanders in round seven. I picked Najee Harris in round four. Uh, so I had some good picks. I had some stinkers. The next manager is Sean Boatwright. Max, who did you have for your favorite pick from Boatwright? I'll go with DJ Moore. I think if Anthony Richardson was still healthy, that he would have been my pick just because I'm really big on QBs this year. But DJ Moore in the fifth round would be my pick for him. Nick, did you have a, a pick for Sean Boatwright? I think maybe, uh, yeah, we can hear you. Who's your pick for Sean Boatwright's team? Yep. Uh, next manager is Kyron. This one was very hard to pick. Well, I guess maybe maybe easy to pick, I should say, because there were not many good choices. I went with Jacoby Myers in the 10th round. This next one is maybe a little controversial as far as my picks go, but Jake is the manager and Jordan Love is the pick for me in the 10th round. I do not like Jordan Love, but I think that he has been a good return on investment at the quarterback position for a 10th round pick. Next manager is Damon. This one I'm a little bit biased. It's Sam Laporta in the 14th round for me. Is my favorite pick from his team. How about you, Nick? Max.
This next manager has to be a consensus pick for all three of us. It's Eddie, and it has to be Kyron Williams in the 18th round. Okay, so we can move on quickly. Nick is the second to last manager for Nick's team. My favorite pick was Mark Andrews in the third round. And I don't necessarily ever feel good about making an early round pick my favorite when we do these kind of look backs uh, segments for the draft recap. But Mark Andrews, if you look at who else was taken in the third round, has been one of the only guys that hasn't been a bust, whether it be through production or through injury. Guys else otherwise taken in the third round, Jalen Waddell, who's been slow to ramp up this year, DK Metcalf, who's been having a down season and he's hurt recently, yeah. Chris Olave having a down year. Nick Chubb out for the year. Calvin Ridley sucks. Josh Jacobs has been up and down. T. Higgins has been hurt. Jameer Gibbs hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. Derrick Henry, there's some questions. Mark Andrews has been one of the only guys picked in the third round that's been really good, Travis Etienne being the other. So that was my pick for next team. Max. Our final manager, perhaps saving the best for last in terms of managers. Maybe not that I can't say that this is the best pick of the draft, but Scott, whose pick, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is Alvin Kamara, which ironically, Sean Boatwright, I believe, called his worst pick when they were doing the draft breakdown. All right, so our final segment of the episode, and because I think that this could be a 30-minute discussion you know, in and of itself, I'm going to say each of us will pick one thing that we can briefly explain that we feel captures what the quote-unquote injuries move is. And I'm not going to go first, so whichever one of you two has one thing in mind that... And I, I'll say that to preface this conversation... I think it's hard to define for me. I think that it mostly goes by, yeah, that feels like it's an injuries move. But in that way, I'll open up the discussion. Who wants to go first with their one thing of what characterizes an injuries move, at least in part? Yep.
Yeah, no, that simple enough for me. Max, what do you got? You have it in your DNA, by the way. So I'll I'll wrap it up in an in a more abstract way and be a little bit cheesy in in that when I think of the phrase injuries move I'm never really thinking about it in terms of one move in a vacuum on its own cuz the way that I approach my team this is again just really an abstract version of what Nick shared which is always look to improve but it's almost like an artist you know, forming a painting or doing wood sculpting, where the thinking behind the moves that I make, I always try to layer it in with the overall strategy for my team and the way that I want to build my roster over the longer period of time. So I guess to put that into practice, when I'm making a move, of course, the evaluation is, is this move in a vacuum the right move for my team right now? But also it's what could I potentially do with the pieces that I'm getting versus if I give the pieces up that I have now, what moves couldn't I make moving forward? And so sometimes you would see like a painter when they first go on the canvas and they're putting colors that you're like, okay, where are they going with this? I have no idea what what they're actually painting. And in the end, you're like, oh, that's what they were working on the whole time. So I'd say for me, an Andrews move is basically a puzzle piece that fits into a, a, a grander scheme, a grander strategy of a direction that I'm trying to take the team. And I don't know what that vision is like before I make all 15 trades or whatever it is that I make each year. But I think what ties in each of my moves to the next is that I'm layering them and thinking forward, okay, what can I work with if I make this trade in front of me right now? for the next deal. You know, I'm not saying necessarily I'll accept or decline a trade based on that, but that is always layered into the consideration when I'm potentially making an offer or potentially accepting an offer. Uh, so I think that that's, to me, that is what the injuries move is. And you heard what it is from, from Nick and Max as well. Any closing thoughts, fellas? None.
And I think real quick, just to jump in before, if you have anything to share, Nick, I think that the potential, the hypothetical trade that you proposed between me and JC earlier, Max, is a good example of a trade that I would be willing to take on the risk of trading away my depth to capture a move that I think overall fits into the piece of the puzzle for me, which is improving my lineup for come playoff time. That maybe managers that are more risk averse, like I'll pick on JC, for example, who's at the other end of that trade. He may not accept that, even if it's a good deal for him on paper in terms of just value compared against value, he may be hesitant because he's thinking, well, I can't give up my third startable running back. That would only leave me with two. What if one of them gets hurt? Part of the injuries formula is that you have to take calculated risks. And like Max said, you have to be then thinking forward, okay, I'll just use my other assets to cover that lack of depth after the deal. I'll figure it out then. Um, I think that was a great example, really, without us even knowing it at the time. Nick, any final thoughts? All right. Man, a few words. Fellas, this was fun. Uh, maybe we'll do it again before the end of the season. Maybe not. If not, maybe we'll do it next season. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm sure that I will be back on in a few weeks. I think I'm signed up for maybe one more of these with the Shans. We'll see. Uh, please sign up to be a guest with them. I know that they like to talk with different people. Us as listeners, we like to listen to different people. So please sign up. It's really not that hard to, to be on maybe one episode per year. But again, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed and they will catch you on the next one. Yeah.